Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that were with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land, though which we have gone to search it, is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came of the giants, which were in our own sight as grasshoppers. As grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Tonight I want to bring a message simply entitled this, You are not a grasshopper. You are not a grasshopper. Let's pray. Lord, tonight I ask that you meet with us. And Lord, I'm thankful for a devout group of people who can look beyond a a secular activity. And Lord, see the importance of being in church over anything that our world has to offer. Lord, we're excited what you're going to do with us tonight. We're excited uh, what the Word of God, how it's going to speak to our hearts. And so, God, tonight I pray that our hearts would be tender. And Lord, where uh, your Holy Spirit steps on our toes, may we be quick to respond in a way that reflects not just a desire to change, but, Lord, true change. Be with us tonight. Please meet with us. Be in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. There was a nervous energy in the air. The Israelites waited with great angst while their leaders, the twelve spies, were out spying out the highly anticipated promised land. Oh, what a journey they had traveled to get to this point. All the way back to their time in Egypt where they see, there seemed to be no escape from Pharaoh and the uh, taskmasters that whipped them every day to build those uh, great uh, works of architecture that some of which are still around today. But enter Moses, God's man. Enter the ten plagues that ravished Egypt, that ravished the Egyptians, and that ravished their Pharaoh. The day comes where they escape and they leave. Their great leader Moses walks them right down a dead-end road to the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh changes his mind. But the Lord marvelously parts the Red Sea through Moses' rod. And they walk through on dry ground and then their enemies are destroyed by the very sea that God had parted. They stand there on the banks and they are led in a song by Miriam and they rejoice in the great victory that God's given them. They're, they, they see over the next few months, miraculous, just miracle after miracle after miracle. They go from having the waters of Mara turn sweet to having the waters in a rock uh, 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 opened up uh, twice out of a flint rock uh, so that water is there in abundance to provide for the several million of them and their animals. They, uh, they see a, a cloud of fire uh, at nighttime to keep them warm. They've got a cloud by day to keep them cool. They've got manna that falls out of the sky to feed them. Uh, they see miracle after miracle. There's the story where, uh, where Moses has his hands 
held up in the air and as long as Moses' hands are up, the people are winning. But when they drop, uh, uh, Aaron and Hur are there. And, and, and But when, they're, when they drop, they lose. And so Aaron and Hur come along and prop the arms of Moses up and great is the victory. God had led Abraham to this promised land so many generations ago. Oh, they all knew it very well. This was the place of Isaac's birth. This was the place where Jacob had wrestled with the Lord. This was the place that they had been taken away from due to the great plague and Joseph's rise to power. Generations had passed and finally, it was time. It was time to leave all the desert behind. Time to trade in that manna that they had been eating for just a few short months for some real food. Time to trade in the tents for brick and mortar. The spies were, were going to come back and report on the land and the prospects of victory. But what would they say? What would these spies say? Off in the distance you see the men returning home. They came bearing gifts. Pomegranates that were huge. Figs. Jugs filled with fresh milk. Another man carrying jars of honey. But but wait just a minute because there's two men carrying a stick over their shoulders. And as, you, as they approach and everyone is wondering what it is, it's a cluster of grapes. A cluster of grapes not being carried in the palm of a hand, but being carried on a stick by two men. Can you, can you hear the excitement amongst the crowd? The buzz as these men come walking back into the camp? The people gather together to hear the report of the, of the spies, the, the twelve leaders, one from each tribe of Egypt. First up, the reports of the riches of the land. There is so much excitement amongst the people as the reports are brought back about the land flowing with milk and honey. The grapes are put on display. The figs and the pomegranates. There's so much excitement amongst the people that the spies almost can't get the crowd back. Then perhaps Oshea from the tribe of Ephraim stands on top of a rock and he raises his hand. And everybody gets quiet. Oshea and the other nine leaders that were with him began to speak. Yes, the land is great, but... Look down at verse 28 of Numbers 13. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. I, here's how I see this working out. Over on one rock, on one high place, you have the, the ten men. And down in the valley below the rock, you've got the Israelites. And over here on this rock, you've got Caleb and Joshua and Moses. And Caleb was probably like Peter in that he never had a lack for words. He was always quick to jump up and say something. Here in Numbers 13 and 14, you see Caleb quickly jumping up and interjecting his positive opinion. Look at verse 30. So over here you've got the ten spies and their uh, evil report. Over here on this rock you've got Caleb and Joshua and their positive report. The Bible says, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, 
Let us go up in once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Can you feel the tension and the people begin to build? Caleb and Joseph and Moses saying one thing, saying we can do it, God is able. Over here you've got ten other men standing on an adjacent rock saying, we can't do it, we don't stand a chance. Then the doubters made a comment that drove the people to their decision. Look back at verse 33. When you can't get someone to believe you, exaggerate. Exaggerate. Verse 33, And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. I just have to say, that is quite a fib. Quite a fib. You think of, uh, of David and Goliath. David maybe was what? Five feet tall? Five, five and a half feet tall as a teenage boy? Goliath being ten feet tall? He's pretty tall. Even that comparison comes a long ways between a grasshopper and a human. But they exaggerated. And the people, based on that exaggeration, they made up their mind what they wanted to do. And they said, we will not go in because we can't do it. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Numbers 14. The Bible says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God we had died in this wilderness? To those Israelites who are so intimidated by the physique of their enemy, I am here to say that you are not grasshoppers. You have a God who is intimidating. You have a God who is fighting on your team. You have a God that is all-powerful, ever-present, and all-knowing. To those murmuring, doubting Israelites, I want to tell you that God is bigger than any giant that is waiting for you in that promised land. I want to tell you that if you will get your eyes off the giants and put your eyes on the Lord, then victory will be yours. I believe that the only thing that we learn from history is that as humanity, we really never learn from history. There may not be a ten foot tall giant that is waiting to pound you into the ground, but there can be carnal giants that keep us from living the victorious Christian life. Many Christians go through their life settling for what I call desert Christianity. Desert Christianity. They are not willing to attack those giants that they fear. They are not willing to stare down their own weaknesses and they end up settling with mediocrity instead of conquering the promised land. Let me set this up for you tonight. I'm going to need some help. Can I have, let's see, make sure I get the right amount of guys up here. Can I have four men come up here quickly? Four men jump up here and help me out. Eric will put you right there. Brother Greer will put you right here. Brother John, you can stand. I'll tell you what, you can stand right here. Brother Vrone, you can stand over here. I like how this is shaping up. Over here, Eric represents Egypt. You do speak a 
another language, right? That no one here understands. Okay, so that works out well. Egypt in the Bible is always a place that represents sin. Need I say any more? Just teasing you. Egypt represents for you and I a place where we lived when we weren't saved. And so while the Egyptians were in Egypt, that was symbolic of a person who's lost. Moses came in and he led the people out of their sin and through, Brother Greer represents the Red Sea. Through the Red Sea. Isn't it interesting that it's called the Red Sea? What do we have to pass through in order to get saved? The blood of Jesus Christ. They walk through the Red Sea and they leave the Egyptians behind and they're saved. They're saved. Notice this. Notice the doctrine in this. They never went back. They never went back to a state of being lost. Once they crossed through the Red Sea, it was a final thing. The sea closed behind them and their salvation was secure. Why don't you step right here in the middle for me, Brother Sanchez. After they crossed through the Red Sea and they got saved, they entered the wilderness. Now, what does the wilderness represent? It represents the carnal Christian. I'm here today to tell you that most Christians live in the wilderness. They live in the wilderness. And they wander around in the wilderness for their entire Christian life. They walk up to the of the Jordan River and they look at the victorious Christian life and they want the victorious Christian life but they head back down and they come back over here and they decide to wander around in the desert. And they convince themselves this is okay. They come right up here to Kadesh Barnea where the children of Israel were and they look at it and they say, oh, but my giants are so big. My fears are so overwhelming. I'm but a grasshopper in the sight of my fears, and they live here. Tonight what I'm here to do, tonight what I'm here to preach, is that we can look at our God, and we can realize He's on our team, and we can decide we're going to come over here, and we're going to live in the promised land of the Christian life. We're going to be victorious Christians. My friends, the crossing of the Jordan in the Bible is not a picture of going to heaven. Crossing the Jordan River in the Bible and entering that promised land is a picture of living a victorious Christian life. Some of you tonight might be here and you're still living in Egypt. The admonishment for you to do is come through the Red Sea, go through the blood of Jesus Christ and be saved. Don't leave here tonight until you've done it. You don't want to die in Egypt. You die in Egypt, you go to hell. There's no reason for that. The Lord already parted the Red Sea for you. He already shed His blood on the cross. Come through the blood of Jesus, trust in His death, burial, and resurrection, and be saved. But you know what the Israelites did once they got out of Egypt? They kept turning around and saying, I miss Egypt. What? You miss being beaten? No, no, no. They didn't miss being beaten. They missed the leeks and the garlics and the steak dinners. And they kept looking back and saying, Oh, for the days... Even here at Kadesh Barnea, where they got to the shore and they just about did it. They said, oh, that we have been in the wilderness, or rather rather we could be in Egypt. And they even picked a man in Numbers 14 to lead them back until God stepped in and intervened. Because they wanted to go back. They wanted to go back. 
The sermon tonight is stand, don't, don't just stand on the banks and look over and want it. Tonight it's about packing those giants and realizing you're not a grasshopper. Thank you guys, you can be seated. If we could kill the monitors up here, they're, uh, they're buzzing at us again tonight. Tonight I want us to look at four thoughts that talk about the Christian and overcoming a grasshopper mentality. Number one is this, the giants that oppose every Christian. The giants that oppose every Christian. Some of you here tonight have already done battle with some of these. Maybe some of these here tonight don't bother you as much as they bother someone else. But we're going to look at a few different giants that in one way or another attack all of us. Letter A, notice the giant of past hurts. The giant of past hurts. Exodus chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, the Bible says, "...in the taskmasters..." hasted them, saying, Fulfill your work. Your daily task is when there was straw. And the officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten, were beaten, and demanded, uh, Wherefore have ye not fulfilled your task in making both brick yesterday and today as heretofore? They were beaten. Daily they were out there having a whip across their back, being pushed around and told what to do, and they looked back with great hurt, and they looked back with great baggage that they never were able to shed. I look at many Christians who struggle to, to, to live the victorious Christian life, and the truth is, the reason why they struggle is because they have not laid down the baggage of what happened to them in their past. I'm talking about adults that have been abused. Maybe abused as a child. I'm talking about adults that have been abused as, as adults. I'm talking about people who carry with them some heavy, heavy baggage. Philippians chapter 3, Paul tells us in verse 13, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I have not arrived. He said, But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus. Listen, if you're here today and you have baggage from your past. Don't walk up to the brink of the Jordan River and stare across at the Promised Land and say, oh, but those giants of my past hurt. I would rather live in the wilderness than to attack that and live in the victorious Christian life. My friend, it's time to lay down the past. It's time to put down the hurt. It's time to, uh, it's time to find healing and closure from past abuses. It's time to uh, uh, break free from self-guilt of bad decisions that you've made that brought baggage into your life. It's time to say, I will attack this giant. I will step forward into the promised land and I will see victory. I will see victory. Some of you here tonight, you walk around and you act like a grasshopper. You look up at the giant of your past hurt and you say, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I'm here tonight to tell you, you are not a grasshopper. You have a God who's on your team who can help you overcome any past hurt, any abuse, any unkind words, any hurt and pain that you carry in your heart. 
told to cast our burdens on Him because He careth for us. And today I ask you this, have you cast the burdens of your past hurts at the feet of the Savior or are you living with them tied to your back? Are they keeping you from being something great? There are people here who have been through nasty divorces and ugly marriages. There are people here who've been abused by a drunken father. There are people here who've been abused in ways that would be totally inappropriate for me to go into. And they live in the past with those hurts. And they will not let them go. I'm here today to tell you that if we could look at the Christian life as though you're driving a car. Some people drive their their Christian car, and all they're looking at is the rearview mirror. They just stare at it all the time. That happened to me. That happened to me. That happened to me. That happened to me. And I'm here to tell you, if you how does that work when you drive looking in the rearview mirror? You're gonna put that car in a ditch. You're gonna put it in the back of another vehicle or in a telephone pole. Your life is a mess today because you can't get your eyes out of the rearview mirror. Stare out the windshield and see the good things that God has waiting for you and let God help you defeat the giant of past hurts. Letter B, we see the giant of perpetual sins. Perpetual sins. Sixteen different occasions between Exodus 15 and Deuteronomy chapter 1, the Bible says that the Israelites murmured. Now it says they did it more than sixteen times. Sixteen occasions, and in some of those verses, the word murmurs used two, three, and even four times. Because they murmured, and they murmured, and they murmured, and they murmured, and they murmured. That was their besetting sin. That was their perpetual sin. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing also we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Some of you come in here tonight and you're battling a habitual or perpetual sin that's been beating you up and owning you and you can't seem to get past it. You can't seem to get around it. And for a while, you go to battle and you go to war and you fight against it and you, you give it all you got, all the self-will you have inside. You get down on your knees pray and you beg God you say give me the victory over this give me the victory over this and you see a short term success and then one day you have a bad day and you lapse back in and maybe you fall maybe nobody knows about it but you and you lay there and you think to yourself what's the use of even trying I have tried and tried and try to overcome this sin. And I can't do it. And you look up at that giant of a habitual sin, whether it's a cigarette, whether it's alcohol, whether it's pornography, whatever it might be that's just seemed to own you. Maybe it's lying or complaining or a bad spirit about you or a bad attitude. And you look up at it and you say, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. I'm a grasshopper. I can't do it. And I'm here tonight to tell you, you are no grasshopper. You are no grasshopper. You can overcome the, the giant of perpetual sin. James chapter 1 and verse 12 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised 
to them that love Him. You endure temptation. You kick it in the mouth. You kick it in the teeth and you say, you're not going to own me. I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to put safeguards around me. I'm going to keep my heart with all diligence. I'm going to make sure I do my very best to make sure that this sin no longer owns me. And God looks down at you and He sees your prayers and He sees your effort and He sees your your, you're going to battle with it. And you stay at it long enough, my friend, and God will help you to slay that giant. He will help you. The giant of past problems. The giant of perpetual sins. Letter C, we see the giant of people's opinions. Take your Bibles with me over to Luke chapter 12. Hold your place in numbers there. Luke chapter 12 in verses 4 and 5. And these are some, uh, when you get out of the, the gospel or salvation uh, doctrines that Jesus shared, just as Jesus talking to us as Christians... Christian doctrine, these are some of the fiercest and, 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 and most uh, helpful words that I find in Scripture for me personally. Because these are things that I've got to be reminded of regularly. And i got to say, when I was a baby Christian, or I was a babe in Christ, I really, really needed to be reminded of this truth. Luke chapter 4, uh, Luke, rather Luke chapter 12 verse 4, the Bible says this, this is Jesus speaking, He says, And I say unto my friends, Be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed, after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. You look around at people, and you're worried about what they think about you. You're worried about pleasing people. We tell kids all the time, oh, you, you stand up for what's right. Don't be a people pleaser. You know, us adults, we need that message too. You don't be a people pleaser. Listen, that joke that's going, being told in the break room, don't laugh at it if it's out of bounds. You say, oh, but they'll accept me and that will give me a chance to witness to them. No, that will tarnish your reputation. That will tarnish your character. Here Jesus tells His disciples, He says, I don't want you to worry about the people that have power to kill your body. I want you to worry about the person. I want you to fear the person who has the ability to take a dead body and cast its soul into hell. Who is that person? It's God. It's God. Look with me over in Matthew chapter 26. You're in Luke. Turn back a couple of books over to Matthew chapter 26. And here we find Peter. Peter who uh, uh, learned this lesson and Peter who uh, struggled with what people thought about him. P- Peter was a people pleaser. When he was with the Lord, and I'm, I'll die for you. I'm on your team. I'm on your side. And I think he meant it. But then when he got around the other crowd, oh, he cared what they thought. Matthew chapter 26, verse 72. The Bible says, speaking of Peter, and again, he denied With an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and he wept bitterly. You know what Peter was afraid of? Peter was afraid of what those people would think of him. 
There was this gigantic person, this gigantic idea, this giant of people's opinions that towered down over Peter that night. And that giant looked over him and Peter sat by the fire, warming his hands by the wrong crowd. And they said to him, aren't you one of those? Not me. I'm not one of Jesus' disciples. No, 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 I'm pretty sure I've seen you with Him before. No! I promise you, the Bible says He took an oath the second time. I promise you, I didn't do it. I'll put my hand on any book or scroll that you want me to put it on. A little while later, they're talking. I just find this funny is that in just general conversation, the verbiage that Peter used sounded like Jesus. Because he had walked with him for three years. He just couldn't keep it from coming out. Now maybe he said something like, bless you, or I'm blessed. Something spiritual tripped out of his mouth. Trying to camouflage and chameleon his way through the situation. And they said, thy speech berayeth thee. And so what did he do? He began to swear and to curse. Another account tells us that Jesus walked out about the time that that cock crew and looked at Peter and stared a hole through him. As if Jesus was saying, I told you so. I told you so. Peter was so discouraged by this that he quit. He quit. Just a little while later, he would look at the other disciples and say, I go a fishing. I'm going back to my secular work because I'm not good enough to do this. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. While he's out fishing, Jesus is on the shore. He tells them to cast the net on the other side of the boat. They draw up a great amount of fishes just like when they first had met Jesus. And Peter jumps in the water and he swims to the shore. And there Jesus has food prepared for them to eat. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Three times he asked him. Peter couldn't answer back with the same boldness, the same uh, uh, strength of love that he was being asked about. Finally, Jesus changed his approach and told him, feed my lambs. He restored Peter back into the ministry. And Peter no longer cared what people thought. Jesus would rise again into heaven. Or rather, Jesus would ascend into heaven and Peter would go and and he would preach with boldness. Look at verse 13. Now when they, this is the the council, the council that's trying Peter for, and, and after they had arrested him. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You know what that says? They had stared down the giant of people's opinions and they said, you're not going to own me. I've got Jesus on my side and with me and Jesus, there's no giant that can stand in my way. I'm not going to stand on the shores of Jordan Bank. I'm not going to look across there and see uh, see this giant and just decide that it can't beat me. No, sir. I'm going to slay this giant. I'm going to knock him down. And I'm going to march on forward for the Lord. I'm not going to fear what those that can hurt my body do to me. I'm going to fear the one who has power over my soul. Some of you here tonight are terrified at the prospect of handing someone a gospel track. You're terrified. 
but that person on the other side of the gas pump, if I peek my head around the corner and I say, come to church with me, they're going to they're gonna think I'm a Jesus freak. I can't think of a better thing to be called. They're going to think I'm a religious loony. Let them think you're a religious loony. Yesterday, a couple of our ladies went out soul winning. Walking down a street in Bridgeport. I believe it was Shelton Avenue. The one report that came back to me was the one gentleman was intimidating in the way he looked and carried himself. But one of our ladies stopped him. Began to share with him the good news of Jesus Christ. The other lady walked up the porch and knocked on the door. Young man came to the door in his 20s. Both of our ladies were sharing the gospel with those two men at the same time. Within seconds of each other, they both bowed their head and they both got saved. Report of another lady in our church out soul winning yesterday. Led a group of people to the Lord. Pastor Mike and I got to go to the house of a young man who's very sick. Mother's a member of our church. This young man is sick and nigh into death in his teenage years. We got to anoint his head with oil and pray over him. But before we did that, we shared with him the story of the lady who had the issue of blood that touched the hem of, the, of, of Jesus' garment. We shared the story with him about blind Bartimaeus and the quartet that broke up the roof and lowered their friend down to the Lord. And how that Jesus not only healed them of their sickness, but healed them of their eternal disease. And that young man, 15 years old, bowed his head and he prayed and asked Jesus to save him. I'm here to tell you today that you don't need to worry about what other people think about you. You just need to worry about what God thinks about you. I remember as a young man in a Christian school, we had plenty of people who did not want to do right in that Christian school. I remember sitting at a lunch table as a seventh grade boy. Somebody told a joke that was out of bounds. And I sat there. And I felt awkward. I knew I needed to say something. Oh, but I was scared what those boys were going to think of me. And so I just sat there. I didn't laugh, but I just sat there. That night I went home and I got down on my knees. I said, Lord, I need to have the courage to say something. For much of my high school years, I confronted those who said things that were wrong. And I was made fun of and laughed in the background for it. But Jesus approved of me. And that's all that mattered. That's all that mattered. Listen, it doesn't matter what your coworkers think of you. It doesn't matter what your boss thinks of you. You need to carry yourself in a professional way. You need to do everything they ask you to do as long as it doesn't violate the Bible. You need to do it with a happy heart, with a smile on your face. But bless God, you need to stand up for what's right. You need to carry the Word of God with you. You need to share it with others where you can. You need to take gospel tracts with you. You need to give them to the world around you. And you need to stare the giant of people's opinion down and say, I'm not a grasshopper in the sight of God. I'm bigger than that grasshopper rather than that giant right there. The fourth giant I see that I want to share with you tonight is the giant of prayerlessness. First Samuel chapter 12, verse 22 down through verse 25, the Bible says, For the Lord will not forsake His people 
for his great namesake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Listen to verse 23. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good in the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things He hath done for you. But if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. This prophet says here, he says, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Can I just kind of take you through some of my struggles with my devotion life as a young Christian? Maybe this will relate to some of you. I took to reading the Bible on a daily basis quickly. As a young man, I didn't do that. I would read the Bible and I'd quit. And I'd read the Bible and I'd quit. I'd read the Bible and I'd quit. But the day came where I got to where I was reading my Bible every day. In fact, I believe there was about a three-year span where I didn't miss a single day. Every day I read uh, uh, the Bible. And boy, I was growing. But there was this roadblock between me and prayer. I'd read my Bible, but I couldn't bring myself to have a prayer life. I'm curious tonight. I've never asked this before. And so this isn't one of those questions where I know. Okay, This is a question where I don't know. Has anybody ever been where I was? Would you raise your hand? Am I alone in that? Where you get to where you can read the Bible, but there's this giant of prayerlessness that just stares you down. And you think to yourself, I don't mind praying, but it feels like I'm just talking to myself. It just feels like I'm having a conversation with the ceiling. My friend, today I'm here to tell you that God has commanded us to communicate with Him in prayer. You say, well, pastor, how did you overcome that? Well, I got some books on on how to pray from some people who were some fervent prayer warriors and I read them and began to burn in my heart to talk to the Lord. And my prayer time would go from a minute or two to five minutes to 15 minutes. I got to where I was averaging about 15 or 20 minutes and I'd have seasons of prayer where I'd pray for 30 minutes or an hour. Get alone with the Lord in prayer. If you're facing the giant of prayerlessness tonight, I'm not asking you to walk out of here and become an hour-long prayer warrior tomorrow. But I'm asking you to begin the journey of praying. And to pray every single day. Some people get to the edge of a victorious Christian life. They look at the giant of past hurts. They look at the giant of perpetual sin. They look at at the giant of people's opinions. They look at the giant of prayerlessness. And they say, no, I don't want to exert the energy necessary to overcome it. I'm but a grasshopper in the sight of those things. I think I would rather live in the wilderness. And can we just be honest? If you live in the wilderness as a Christian, you're miserable. You're miserable. God has so much better for you. But you've got to be willing to look and stare those down. Number two, we see the God who empowers, or the God who can empower every Christian. Look back with me at Numbers chapter 14. I know we've been all over the Bible tonight. Let's go back to where we began. Numbers chapter 14, verses 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. I may go a little past 7, 15. Nobody's in a hurry to get out of here tonight, are they? 
You don't need to see that halftime show anyway. It's filth. Amen. Numbers chapter 14, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Let's look at it together. The Bible says, And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. Look at this, verse 8. If the Lord delight in us, I'd say the Lord delighted in the Israelites, they were His chosen people. Then He will bring us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. What does that mean, bread for us? That's like an expression. It's like cutting through hot butter, man. This is going to be easy. This is terrible part. They are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. What was Caleb and Joseph and Moses trying to say here? We have a God that can. We have a God that can. You maybe think that we can't, but you have a God that can. By the way, let me say that they're looking at themselves and their uh, their their uh, inabilities was accurate in the sense that without God, they absolutely couldn't do it. You say, can you prove that? Well, fast forward to the book of Joshua. You remember they beat Jericho and then Achan stole the, the, the items and then they go up against Ai and they get cocky and they send this small group and the, the people from Ai absolutely obliterated them. I think it was 38 men or something like that that died. You know why? Because they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. But God could. I'm here today to tell you, this evening to tell you that there is a God that can empower you to overcome any giant in your life. Some of you tonight might just be facing one of the four giants. Some of you here tonight might be facing all four. But there is no giant in that land that you cannot conquer because you have a God that is capable. Number three, let's look at the grief that entangles the doubting Christian. The grief that entangles the doubting Christian. Immediately after Caleb finished that speech, there was uh, maybe led by the the ten uh, leaders, I, we don't know where the revolt came from, but there was a revolt to take Caleb and Joshua and Moses and have them stoned. And then there was a revolt to appoint a leader to march them back to Egypt so they could be slaves in Egypt again. And God wasn't going to have any of it. So God's presence came down and filled the tabernacle. And oh my goodness, all that chirping about getting rid of Moses stopped because God showed up. How many of you here had a dad when you were in trouble? It was intimidating. It was intimidating. My son's raising his hand. (laughs) Amen. That means I'm doing a good job. Amen. I remember as a boy when I was in trouble, when I was really little, my mom would spank me. Then I got a little bit bigger and Mom's spankings didn't quite hurt so much, so then she got smart and she said, go to your room and wait till your dad gets home. Oh, I hated those words. Dad would come walking, barreling through the house. Our house was up on stilts, and my back of my legs would tense up. Fear would be struck in my heart. If you took my blood pressure at that moment, I would have almost in cardiac arrest. Because I knew what dad was coming in to do. 
It didn't feel good. When the presence of God filled the tabernacle, the people got scared. You see, every other time that the Lord had come down, or almost every other time, it was not for good reasons. And they knew they had blown it. And God was livid. God was angry. God told Moses, let me just wipe them out and start over with you. And Moses, if you don't think prayer moves the heart of God, Moses gets down on his face, prostrate on his face, and he begs God. He said, God, you made a promise. You can't break that promise. You've got to save these people alive uh, for your reputation's sake. You can't do it. And God turns around and He says, fine. But these people that are 20 and older, they're not going in. Look at verse 34. After the number of the days in which ye... This is Numbers 14.34. After the number of days in which ye searched the land, even forty days, every day for a year shall ye bear your iniquities, even forty years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. An interesting study, if you want to take the time to do it. We won't dive too deep into this tonight, but... Moses did not send those spies over there to to look at the men. He sent them over there to look at the land. It's an interesting study. They didn't go look at the land. They went and looked at the men. They did not look at what God had sent them for. It was supposed to be a quick survey trip in and a quick survey trip out. But they lingered. And the blood of God began to boil the longer they stayed. When they came back... After 40 days, and they did what they did, God said, okay, for every day you were there, there will be a year that you wander in the wilderness. That desert they were in, that was just supposed to be a temporary thing. They weren't supposed to live there. That manna that had fallen from heaven, that was just supposed to satisfy them for a couple of months. That wasn't supposed to be a diet for 40 years. Those tents they lived in, those tents were just supposed to be temporary until it got them into the promised land. Then they can live in a home of brick and mortar. But those tents became home for 40 years. You want a visual of this? Look up Wilderness of Shur. Look at pictures of it. Oh, it is desert. Oh, it is awful. It is ugly. And that's what they had to walk around in for 40 years. Tonight I'm here to tell you that you've got two choices. You can walk around with your head hung low. I'm just a little grasshopper. I can't defeat my giants. I can't do it. Pastor, I can't do it. I've tried. I can't do it. My, my problems are too big. Okay, if that's how you want to handle things, wander in the wilderness. Wander in a spiritual wilderness. It's miserable. It's miserable. You'll look at God and say, God, you're not fair. Just like the Israelites did. In grief, you'll be entangled in grief. Or you can look up at a God who can and say, I'm not much. But you and I together, there's no giant we can't knock down. Number four, we see the glory that awaits the trusting Christian. Take your Bibles over. We're done in numbers. Take your Bibles over to Joshua chapter 6. So for 40 years they wandered. And everyone 20 years old and up wandered around and they died. Their bodies were buried there in the sand. 
Somewhere in that 40 years, Moses struck the rock the second time instead of speaking to it. And so God takes Moses up into a mountain that's undisclosed. And God actually buried Moses in a place that was remote. And Joshua becomes the leader. These people, 20 years old and younger, grew up. And thankfully, they did not repeat their parents' mistakes. They looked at him and said, we can do this. We have a God that can Look at what look at what they accomplished that their parents could have accomplished. Joshua chapter 6 verse 20 the Bible says so the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city every man straight before him and they took the city they took the city. They walked up there. They walked around in circles. It made no tactical sense from a military standpoint, but it was what God had told him to do, and they believed. They blew their trumpets. They shouted on, on order, and God knocked those walls down flat. And they went in and they took the city. And then they would march to Ai, and after, uh, uh, we talked about that before, but after a mess up in Ai, they finally got it right. And then they would march systematically throughout that promised land and kill off the enemies of God that had taken their land and they would claim it back. Turn over to Joshua chapter 11. Joshua chapter 11 verse 23. All the way from Joshua 6 to Joshua chapter 11 verse 23, you can read about the different events that took place in their conquering of that land. When verse 23, we see the end of the fighting and they had accomplished everything they were accomplished. The Bible says, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord said unto Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel according to their division by their tribes. And the land rested from war. They beat their giants. They won. Caleb looked up in a mountain and he said, You see that one right there? I'm an old man. That one belongs to me. He went up there and he defeated those giants. He took them out. He said, it's mine. Those ten men looked at the giants and they said, we can't. Joshua and Caleb looked at them and said, ah, they're like a piece of bread. Let's rip them to shreds. Because we've got a God that can. Tonight, let me give you three concluding thoughts. You can take away from the message. Number one, God is bigger than any giant in your life. God is bigger than any giant in your life. What giant is it that's playing you tonight? What giant is it? Is it past hurts? You carrying baggage around from all the mistreatment in your life? Is it a habitual or a perpetual sin? What is it tonight that has you plagued? What giant is it that stared you down and you feel like I can't defeat it? Is it prayerlessness? My friend, God is bigger than any giant in your life. Look back at Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2, verses 9, 10, and 11. The Bible says there, this is Rahab speaking to the spies. This time, let me just say this before we read the verses. Joshua was smart. He didn't send in 12, he sent in 2. And he sent in 2 men who were trusting and believing. They got in and they got out. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us. That all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Wow. Verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. 
when ye came out of Egypt, and when ye did what, what ye did under the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our heart hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. How intimidated must have these people in Jericho felt 40 years prior at Kadesh Barnea? Tonight I'm here to tell you that your God is bigger than any giant you have. Number two, concluding thought number two. Victory comes when we focus on God and not on our giants. Victory comes when we focus on God, on God, and not on your giants. Numbers chapter 14, verses 8 and 9 say this, If the Lord delight in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel ye not against the Lord. What was Caleb and Joshua saying? He was saying, Put your eyes on God and take them off yourself. Put your eyes on God and take them off the sons of of Anak. Put your eyes on God and get them off the giants. Put your eyes on God and, and you will find victory. And tonight I'm here to tell you, if it's your past hurts, take your eyes off your past hurts and put them on your God because He can. If it's perpetual sin, uh, eventual sin that has you wrapped up, put your eyes on God and fall in love with Him because you can't, but He can. Whatever the giant is tonight in your life, I'm here to tell you, God is bigger than your giant. And if you'll put your eyes on Him, He will give you the victory. Quit staring at that giant and thinking, oh, I can't do it. Oh, I can't do it. No, my friend, stare at God and think to yourself, He can do it. Number three, and maybe most importantly, you will not trust God to give you the victory if God is not part of your daily routine. Here's how... Here's what happened to those ten ten spies and the Israelites. They went about their day focusing on the secular. And then when they got to a spot where they needed to look at God, it was not natural for them to do. So they couldn't do it. But if you look at God, and your focus is on Him day in and day out, when the giants come your way, Your attitude is, I'm not much, but God and I, well, we can do it together. I finished with this quick illustration. Back in the 90s, Michael Jordan was the king of the basketball world. One particular night, Jordan had just gone, just, just gone crazy with the scoring. He put up 59 points in a game. 59 points. After the game was over, the press made their way to the locker room. All the press was gathered around Jordan's locker, trying to get an interview. There was a rookie reporter that couldn't get into the crew. And so he looked over and Stacy Stacy King, rather, Stacy King, who was just a bench player for the Bulls, had gotten in at the end of the game. And he shot and made one of two free throws. And so Jordan scored 59. Stacey King scored one point. The interviewer said to Stacey, he said, what did you think of Michael Jordan's display, brilliant display tonight? He said, well, I know one thing. 
Me and Jordan put up 60 tonight. Me and Jordan put up 60 tonight. You may not be much, but you and God make a pretty good team. There's no giant you can't overcome. What giant's been kicking you around and keeping you in the wilderness? You're ready to move into that Jordan land and that promised land and have a victorious Christian life? Put your eyes on the Lord because you and God can do it. You're not a grasshopper, my friend. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight.